0: I got, a, got an email saying that there's a meeting of the Ministerial Advisory Committee. So I went to the meeting. It was a, uh, a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the call, there were about 50 or so of us on the call. And the uh, Minister went through, you know, what this is about, and he's trying to create these subcommittees to look at clinical things, at public health things, laboratory issues. And, uh, yeah, the meeting was chaired by the acting director general, and we were asked to, to sort of comment on things and so on, but we were told, yeah, you know he wants to set up this advisory committee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so, as part of this advisory committee, I'd at the end of the meeting, uh, the acting DG announced that I will be the chair. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see. I didn't ask to be
0: the chair or anything. I was yeah. just—I uh, 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 was pleasantly surprised. I think that's a nice way to describe it. I was pleasantly surprised, yeah. and of course, there was no question. I would do whatever I was asked. Yeah. I had. Uh, you know, anyway, informed him that if there's anything I can do to help, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really, you know, I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they asked me to chair this committee, and I said, Of course, I'll do so with pleasure. Many of the people on the committee I know quite well, they are leading scientists in our country and clinicians, and I thought it would be an honor to serve in this way. And I'm not sure that. If I knew how much of work it was going to be, I would have said yes. <laughs> Do you want us
2: to write that? <laughs> Do you want us to write that? You
0: can write that.
2: <laughs> you know. How hectic is it compared to the work that you have been doing prior to you joining the committee? How has how much has your life changed?
0: The work starts at about six in the morning and finishes at around one in the morning. Mm. It's non-stop. There's there's, there's, there's things to do all the time. Mm. So we agreed that the minister and the acting DG will give us questions. We will then go, the 50 of us, we broke ourselves up into small groups. Mm. And then when he gives us a question, we will put a small team onto it to go and do all the investigation, everything that is known about it. And then they will write a short report, mm. just one two pages. That's all. And then based on that report, we will then have a discussion, and then we will submit the advice. So we do turn around advice is normally within twenty four hours, and we get a lot of questions.
2: A lot of questions. Yeah.
0: Because so little is known about this virus, you know, and it's all the time. And then we also look at strategic issues. About what the overall strategic direction is. We are analyzing information all the time. We are reading journal articles. Our goal and our mandate is to ensure that we are providing the most scientifically accurate and up to date information available so that. The minister, the president, whoever else, can make decisions informed by what we can provide, and Mbeki changed everything. I mean, from a country that was trying to grapple with HIV, uh, working under the Mbeki government uh, is very much like the way you know they have to work with Trump right now. It's. <laughs> You have somebody who doesn't understand science, but thinks he does, Mm -hmm. and thinks he's correct. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And when you try to point out the the abnormality in the viewpoint, it's viewed as if you're challenging authority. When you're not trying to do that, you're just trying to help. The authority to be correct—that's all it is. I, I'm not trying to. It's not a. It's not a political issue. It's just a scientific issue.
1: Yeah.
0: It is like night and day. Trying to address HIV under Mbeki, and trying to address COVID under President Ramaphosa, because President Ramaphosa is very proactive. Same. He. He's thinking ahead of the problem. He he collects a lot of information
1: mm.
0: and he assimilates information from many sources and he's very considered about how he wants to move forward. But he's he doesn't like to delay and and waste time. He wants he wants to get things done, let's move on, we've got to deal with this problem. So, When I was called to ask to come and uh, advise, I didn't understand the pace at which it would work and how fast they need things done. I'm used to a much more leisurely pace, you you tell me you want to do this, okay, I'll put a small team together, we'll come together, we'll look at all the evidence and then I'll write something up for you. Mm. That all takes a week, Mm. now I do that in a matter of 12 hours and we get asked to do you know, the most unusual things. SAA uh, is going to Germany with the Germans who have been stuck in the lockdown and they are now flying them off to repatriate them back to Germany. Now, what rules apply to the Germans who are leaving? What rules apply to the crew coming back? all kinds of things. Now we have to think now, okay, what do you want us, okay, what do we tell SAA? SAA sends us what they want to do. Mm. Okay, no, no, this doesn't make sense. So no. it's, it's,
2: it's as, as detailed as that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: We do quite detailed things to advise and we do high level things as well. So for example, the whole community surveillance strategy mm. comes from the MAC the MAC is the source of it, it was, we, 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 we explained how we saw it occurring, and we provided the plan yeah. that is the basis for the community screening. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing we do. But it's very important that as you write about this, that uh, uh, we are very clear that we are advisory. We don't actually do anything, because people think we're doing things. They're thinking, you know, we're the ones leading this, we're not. That's the minister's job, that's the acting director general's Mm -hmm. job, that's their job. They do. They seek our advice about what to do.
2: But the minister is relying on scientists.
0: Yeah, they rely on us. Oh, we we draw a lot on China. and. we use a lot of their published papers. In yeah. fact, if we want to know anything, the first thing we do is we go and look at what the Chinese have said. Because, remember, they, they have a four-month head start High on head us. Start, yeah. So they, they have the information that almost nobody else has. And then, uh, in addition, mm-hmm. the head of China's CDC, uh, who is the head of the HIV program, is also the uh, leading the covid initiative mm. he wrote the main paper that we use and he mm. is our very good friend oh. my son oh, i see who is the youngest he's at uct mm. he published a paper on coronavirus
1: mm.
0: with the team downstairs on the gene sequence of the virus. <coughs> so he did one of the first studies on coronavirus <laughs> in January of this year, before we even had a case.
2: So, so, so your son is a, is, is a scientist.
0: He's a computer scientist. Computer scientist. Mm. Oh, okay. He's still a student. He's still okay. He hasn't qualified yet.
2: Mm. And then your daughters?
0: My young daughter, she's a journalist. Mm. She just came back from doing her masters at the Pulitzer School at Columbia University
1: mm.
0: and joined Daily Maverick. Oh, I see. And now she left Daily Maverick at the beginning of this year to go to Pekta Sisa.
2: Oh, amazing. I so, love Peggy So, who do you Caesar. think is
0: writing the article?
2: <laughs> I love Peggy <Pegasus. laughs>
0: So, she now works for Mia Malan and mm. Peggy Um She's written dozens of articles. It's quite funny because when some days when we're doing interviews, television interviews, mm. I'll do an interview, and ten minutes later she does an interview. We're both in the same slot. It's quite funny.
2: <laughs> and and um, your and your other daughter?
0: My eldest daughter is a lawyer. So she trained in Washington mm. at um, Georgetown Law School. When she came back, she joined the Constitutional Court.
1: Mm
0: as a clerk, working with Judge Leona Teron. And after she finished with the Constitutional Court, she joined Wits University, where she does health law. And so she's writing articles on COVID.
1: Mm, and
0: she's published, published several things on the law and COVID. So right now she's been helping me because I had to submit an affidavit. Mm. on the alcohol issue. Yeah,
2: South Africans are problematic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, they want to drink alcohol. So I had to explain, you know, why I think alcohol shouldn't be provided. And I gave four reasons, Mm. all scientific reasons. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, scientifically based reasons. And uh, she helped me, you know, to draft the affidavit. So you can see... It's a family thing. All of us are involved.
2: You know. You know what I like about it being a family thing is that everyone plays a different role. Mm-hmm. It's not that everyone is a doctor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's very really refreshing.
0: The lockdown has certainly had, uh, had the effect of containing community transmission, and I hope I conveyed, you know, to the South African nation that. The main thing we are trying to do is to control community transmission. We don't want this virus spreading like wildfire in our townships, our informal settlements, in our suburbs. We want it under control. And I explained that when we started the lockdown, we probably had a few thousand infections. We want those few thousand infections to become a dead end. In other words, Mm. that person was infected, that person doesn't interact with anyone else Mm, and the virus and that infection comes to an end. That's what we planned for. That should take about 14 days. So that's why we allowed 14 days and we said we need another week to know whether it's worked. So that's why we argued for 21 days.
1: Mm.
0: So 21 days has a very strong scientific rationale for it. It, The whole idea is that anyone who is infected, that they would be a dead-end infection and they won't spread it to others. And the reason not spreading it, they're not going in a taxi or an Uber or a bus and Mm. coughing on everyone, Mm. they're just contained we'll get some idea of how that works based on the numbers and based on what we're seeing right now uh, it looks like we pretty much have community transmission at a pretty low level it's there make no mistake it's there yeah but it's at a pretty low level and the lockdown has achieved that it's not going to carry on you know that i said so right
2: yeah as soon as yeah. you
0: end the lockdown it's going to start it's going to start of course it has to start because there are people infected, it's going to start again. The difference is that now we'll be ready. What do you mean? When, when this epidemic starts, when it starts going up and the infections occur, it moves very fast. Within a matter of two, three weeks, you go from 10,000 people infected to quarter million, half a million, just like that. Before you know it, a lot of people are infected. And then they all need medical care. And they come in their thousands, like you saw in New York, in their thousands coming to the hospital. They can't open the door to the hospital because they're just everywhere. They are sitting in the streets, they are waiting in the waiting rooms. There's no place. And... They are dying because they need ventilation, and we don't. We can't. We don't. We only got limited ICU beds, Mm. so that's what we saw in Italy. It was scary. Our colleagues in Italy, what they described, oh, we wouldn't want to have that. Our colleagues in New York, I put that picture that I shared with the president, and uh, it's a scary picture, and. I thought that it was important we get ready. A picture of New York, mm. showing how Central Park was converted into a field hospital. So the, the whole of Central Park—you know, because Central Park it's is huge. so so—it's right everywhere can get, everybody can get to it in New York. Mm. So it became the field hospital, because your problem is you have to keep the hospitals clear. You don't want anyone going to the hospitals. You only want the sick patients going. So, somewhere you have to have the patients coming, they triage, and in the triage, only those who really need to go to the hospital get sent to the hospital. Everybody else is dealt with there. So, you protect the hospital because otherwise, the hospital will just. They just won't cope. The whole system will just collapse. It'll collapse, yeah. It just collapses. Yeah. So we're trying to. So we we setting that up. So you know, the uh, sites are being selected. In fact, I think they've been selected. Durban. We looked at several sites, and I think the final choice is the ICC. The ICC, you know, the Durban ICC and the Exhibition Centre is where we're going to set it up.
2: From someone like me who doesn't know much about science and, and, and viruses and epidemics, when, when I look at how the spread has been happening in South Africa, um obviously there's evidence that the lockdown has worked in terms of, of um making sure that it's not we're not all getting infected. Yeah. Uh but but a lockdown is, is, is not a forever approach.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And at yeah. that end we cannot I, I don't think we can be certain that now the virus is finished. Definitely now we can open. So what is the science behind um what you guys will be telling the minister and the president? Okay, now maybe we can do a partial uh opening of A B C or should we continue with the lockdown?
0: I mean it's not a secret what we've told the President and the Minister. What we told him is quite simple and straightforward. It's inevitable that we're going to have a severe epidemic. I called it the difficult truth mm. in my slides. Mm. It's inevitable. Mm. We're going to have it. We can't avoid it. No one else in the world has avoided it. We're not going to avoid it. I said, unless we have some special mojo, you know. I don't know, like a Mandela factor <laughs> It's uniquely South African, you yeah, know?
2: Yeah, uh,
0: We're not going to avoid this problem. It's coming. And we need to accept that it is coming. And the lockdown bought us time. Important time, make no mistake. And it was well worth buying that time because we would have just been overwhelmed if we didn't have that time. There comes a point at which you need to make some assessment of your community transmission. Mm. And if you have very substantial community transmission, then you can consider that the lockdown maybe needs to be longer. If you do not have significant community transmission, then you should consider easing the lockdown. And we made two pieces of advice that we've already conveyed. The first is, don't end the lockdown abruptly don't tell people it's ending today, then everybody must go to work tomorrow. Mm. That's trouble. You're going to mix high and low risk and you're going to spread the virus again. And we'll undo all of the good work we've done. So we explained to the President, I went to the Minister and the President that they should do it in a systematic way. They were going to do that anyway. It wasn't something new. And we explain some things that maybe want, they want to consider in the way they do it. So if we're going to end the lockdown, say at the end of the month, then they need to think about, okay, if that's the date on which we want it to be completely ended, when do we start and how do we get to that date? And That's, that's what we suggested. The second thing we suggested is that we may want to consider protecting our elderly. Yeah. Our elderly are at the highest risk. See, young. People don't don't really have much of a problem with this disease. In fact, children have almost you know very not they have very low fatality. So very few cho- few children are even affected by this disease. They get it as a very mild condition.
2: Why
0: is that? It's just how uh, this virus infects your lungs, and young kids have Their pretty lungs fine or... lungs, so it's not a problem. Mm. We've had years of breathing and all the pollution and everything, so. As we get older, our lungs are not able to cope in the same way. But for young children, this is a disease that poses no problem. Mm-hmm. The moment we open the schools, the kids are going to spread it. There's nothing we can do about that, they're going to spread it, right? So the moment they spread it, we, we know that it's not a problem if they get it, but they go home and they go and play with the granny yeah. and the grandpa, that's a problem. We've got to protect granny and grandpa, so we're suggesting that we have a partial lockdown, that we ask the elderly, everyone over the age of 65, to voluntarily, on their own, to go into their own lockdown. And how they manage their lockdown is up to them. But it's not a mandatory lockdown, it's for their own good. It's, for their own it's not it's not for our good, but it's for their good. Okay. We asking them to do that, and I suggested that we might want to do that until the end of September.
2: Um, in in terms of of the head start that we had, um, maybe as as opposed because because we had our first um, case in March, um, we knew about the virus in December. Did that make a
1: difference
0: at all for South Africa? Well, we knew about this disease for the first time on the 19th of December. We didn't know whether it was due to a virus. and So we knew it was due to a virus early in January. Mm-hmm. That's what my son was involved in, identifying by looking at how the virus sequences were being done. and. We knew in the first week of December I think it was, right, that this was a virus. And we knew it was a coronavirus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: From that point up to the time it hit Italy, we were not sure what to make of it. Because we saw SARS. Yeah. And SARS was contained in China. Yeah. Never came here.
1: Yeah.
0: So we said, Oh, it's another coronavirus. Oh, it's another okay. SARS. Okay, you know, yeah. it's gonna be in China. They are good at, in order to deal with it, they will control it Mm -hmm. and they will keep it in hand. And then we saw Wuhan and how it was spreading. And that was now February and we said, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. this is a problem. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be like SARS, Mm -hmm. this is something different. And by then WHO had also sounded the warnings that this is not going to be a contained problem. And they declared... It uh, uh, an infectious disease of international interest in the beginning of February, mm-hmm. and within a work or a week or two, uh, no not even two within a week or so, they declared it a pandemic. A pandemic. So the moment they declare a pandemic, then the articles of the United Nations kick in. De- declaring it a pandemic, a whole series of things kick in, one of which is that all countries, have to now start preparing mm-hmm. and we have to report to the World Health Organization about our preparations and we have to report all our cases to them so there's there's a whole lot of rules that come into play once the WHO takes the leadership so that that was when it became real for us we
2: didn't really have a head start
0: we had a head start mm-hmm. because think about it you know one was already, you know, dealing with this crisis then. Then we, we saw Italy, oh goodness, that scared us, yeah. because then we knew this was not, you know, we said we have more people from China coming to South Africa than people from China going to Italy. Into Italy, uh. So it's just a matter of time, you know, South Africans go to China a lot because we are yeah. part of the BRICS.
1: Yeah.
0: and. We said, what happened here? We said, well, it's coming, it's coming, it's going to come. And then 5th of March, it came. came. Now, once it came, became real. All of us dropped everything we were doing on HIV. I don't do anything on HIV anymore. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to do anything yeah. on HIV. I'm, I'm, I'm 24-7 doing work on coronavirus. Uh,
2: Prof, can you speak on, on the infection and immunity? Yeah. That's been the most confusing, I think, for a long okay.
1: time.
0: Okay. So, we know with all other coronaviruses, and particularly from SARS, but we also know from other viruses, like measles, polio, and so on, from HIV, that viruses, when they cause an infection, they stimulate uh, an immune response. That immune response usually is what we call humoral immunity H-U-M-O-R-A-L Humoral immunity and that's your B cells
1: mm.
0: and your B cells make antibodies Yes, and we know that that almost every virus we know leads to antibodies. This is the body's natural response responses. to viruses. So we expected that with this coronavirus the body will make antibodies. And when we, uh, when we saw the data coming from our colleagues in China, we saw that patients were making antibodies. So the difference was that the antibodies don't come up very early. From the time A person has symptoms, it takes about a week before the antibodies become detectable. Mm. So that means that we can't tell if somebody has this coronavirus based on the antibodies. Because when they first got symptoms, only about a third of them will have antibodies. Mm. The rest don't have antibodies. So that's why we had to use the swabs and that's why we use the polymerase chain reaction, the PCR test. The PCR test looks for the RNA of the virus.
1: Mm.
0: It doesn't look for antibodies. The antibodies only come up a little bit later. So the antibodies don't help us in the diagnosis of acute coronavirus infection. Oh, They tell us whether you've ever been infected with it and they tell us that you know after day seven that you had it seven days ago right now when these antibodies come up for most viruses the antibodies protect you for a long time often for life let me give you an example if you get polio virus infection, mm. you then get the polio virus antibodies that protect Prote- you from yeah. ever getting polio virus again. And TB? Uh, no, TB is different because TB is not a virus. Oh, it's a bacterium. That's right. Okay, cool. <laughs> but measles is probably a better. Your 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 readers will know measles because yeah. polio we we eradicated. They'll know measles. You get measles and you get the antibodies against measles and you are then protect it for life. You will not get measles ever again. Okay. You know that, mm-hmm. everybody knows that. You don't get measles again. Once you get it, once you get it. We now have a vaccine. So instead of getting real measles, we give you a vaccine and the vaccine creates the same antibodies as if you got infected or similar mm-hmm. antibodies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And not the same, it's similar. And so coronavirus, we know these antibodies come up, we know they are present, and right now we don't know whether they protect you from getting the coronavirus infection again. So we're looking to our colleagues in China Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and asking them, because now they got a lot of people who got antibodies, and we're asking them, are they getting reinfected? And the answer we're getting is that it's not clear, but it doesn't look like they're getting reinfected. But they can't tell us for sure,
2: right?
0: because the virus the, and the, the PCR test can remain positive for quite a long time. So you know, after you've got this infection and you clear the virus and you get antibodies, you can still detect the PCR mm-hmm. for several days afterwards. Up to a month, the vi- you can still get the PCR test, but we think that the PCR test is finding the RNA of the virus, but that the virus is dead. The virus oh, is not alive, it doesn't cause infection it
2: doesn't make you sick anymore. you
0: still have the virus because you have its RNA, mm. but we don't think it's actually because those people are not infecting others from what we can gather oh. so I would say the factual situation is that we know that everyone, based on what we hear from China, almost everyone develops antibodies against the virus. And we don't know whether those antibodies protect you from getting reinfected. Oh, I see. But what we do know, and this is very early information, so it's not... Uh, fully confirmed yet is that patients who got COVID Mm. they got the disease the cough, the sore throat, the fever and so on when they had it once they don't get it again you get COVID once you don't get COVID again again very preliminary information but we have not yet received reports Mm. of COVID patients getting COVID again So the antibodies may not protect you from getting reinfected but they will protect you from getting disease. They protect you from getting sick. Sick. We're not going to have a vaccine in the next year, perhaps for the next two years. So a vaccine is not going to help us in this epidemic right now. The vaccine is going to come after the epidemic is over in all likelihood. So we can't depend on the vaccine for, to help us right now. I'm hoping it will help us for the next round of this virus right? or for a similar virus. I'm more optimistic we'll get a treatment. I'm not sure when we're going to get a treatment. Not immediately and probably not fast enough for our epidemic. Mm-hmm. But I think we will see good progress in terms of of treatment. I think vaccine will probably take longer. If you're asking me between the two, the vaccine is really important. I would say a vaccine is much more critical because a vaccine will protect the entire nation. We vaccinate a certain number of people up to a point where we get herd immunity Mm. and then we protect everyone whereas the treatment is a 1 by 1 by, by one, 1 thing yeah. so i have seen how this crisis in the form of a little virus that comes from what well, comes from bats but was seems was originated from pangolins at the wuhan seafood market mm. how that little virus is teaching us about what it means to an entire nation to have strong, enlightened leadership. I watched the two biggest disasters in the way this epidemic has been dealt with, the USA and the UK, and I, thank God, I'm in South Africa. Thank God we've got good leaders who know what they need to do yeah. and are not scared to do it. not scared. To instead be- of doing instead of downplaying it, denying it like their Becky approach, mm. they took it. They said, "No, nope, we're going to deal with it." Right? That we have to consider that we are very fortunate. Not us as scientists. But we have to be thankful that we have really smart people in the form of Dr. M'kize, Minister, I mean, uh, President Ramaphosa. Yeah. Uh, I think they, because they have to make the decisions, not us. Yeah. We, we are nothing in this equation. We are just people in the back room trying to, to, to help them make the best decisions that they can. But it's up to that it's totally up to them as to what decisions are made. And we have no say in it at all.